Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast Podcast. We are now going to be covering the Super Bowl after two uh, pretty exciting conference championship games. I mean, more so in the AFC than in the NFC. But uh, despite it, you know, it all and everything like that, uh, you know, we got two powerhouse teams, uh, you know, lining up to see each other in the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs, who have obviously, you know, won a Super Bowl in their recent run, um, have experience there as well. Uh, versus the Eagles, that you know, won it all in 2017, but now you know, return with a brand new quarterback and uh, a much improved defense and a, and a cast of weapons. So should be really exciting. Um, you know, looking first at the NFC uh, conference championship game between the Niners and the Eagles, uh, you know, in Lincoln financial, it was a uh, very different game than I think most had projected it to be, uh, you know, in part because of what had happened during the game. But uh, I'll just kick it over to Wayne to start off with, uh, you know, framing that game and kind of what he took away from it. Thanks, Pat. Um, yeah, it was pretty fun. I actually watched it at a 49ers bar uh, with a couple 49ers fans. And let me tell you, uh, they were not as happy uh, as they were, you know, last week. Um, I mean, I think, you know, you got to give credit, I think, to uh, the 49ers, at least for the season that they've had so far. But it's hard to really win a championship, you know, let alone the NFC championship against a really, really great team and great defense that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles have, when you're operating from like your, your fourth string quarterback or your, you know, or having your running back basically being your quarterback with Christian McCaffrey. So, you know, uh, yeah, I guess there's a lot of props, I think, to be given towards the Eagles. You know, they put a lot of pressure on Purdy early on, and then they, you know, uh, kind of took him out of the game with, uh, you know, ripping his arm off, basically, he wasn't able to throw afterwards. So, uh, nothing that, you know, they, I don't think they really passed. And if they did pass, there were just like screens and the Eagles, uh, defense was just prepared for that. They were just going downhill and everything. So, you know, the offense was completely anemic. Um, and then the defense, you know, they can only do so much, I guess, like a really talented Eagles offense. So, you know, this really wasn't much of a game, uh, uh, you know, the, the bar, the 49ers bar was at, I was at, it's pretty sad. I think after like maybe at halftime, I was like, all right, let's, let's talk about next season. Next season sounds pretty good. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot to look forward to for the 49ers next season, but for right now, you know, uh, the Eagles, uh, I think they were pretty well-deserved and Hey, look, uh, I called it too. So <laughs> at least I got that one. Right. But yeah. What do you think, Pat? Man, I mean, the arm issues with uh, with Purdy, um, you know, saying he felt tingles up and down his fingers, up his arm, and then every time he threw it just hurt. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's played, you know, baseball, um, a UCL injury is just, you know, pretty deadly. I don't think any pitcher would be picking up a baseball to throw. So, you know, it happening on the football field uh, with a football, imagine it's just as painful. Um, not to mention with Josh Johnson. I mean, guys bounced around the league for a long time. Um, you know, he had to hit the 10 for concussion protocol. He was out for the rest of the game. So it was like, they're getting down to their last options. I mean, they're talking about use check or maybe McCaffrey, uh, becoming a new quarterback, uh, because the NFL has actually taken away the emergency third string quarterback playoff rosters. So, um, once those rosters are set, they kind of, you know, have to wing it at a certain point, which was kind of what the Niners were facing. So Purdy gave it his best shot, but you know, you're going up against the best uh, defense in the league. I mean, good good luck, um, especially on the road. And I think you and I even said, like, this is going to be an uphill battle for a rookie quarterback um, in that sense. But um, what actually was also really surprising, um, you mentioned it too, is 
the fact that the Eagles just pounded uh, the 49ers defense. I mean, 49ers are number two against the run, just pure yardage over the course of the season. Everybody talks up their D line, just like, you know, we kind of do with the Eagles. I mean, Eagles with their 70 sacks, we're kind of in a different stratosphere this year, but in the same sense, everybody puts a lot of respect on the Niners, um, you know, to scheme, to game plan. And uh, they just got outclassed and, and kind of embarrassed to be honest with you um, as a unit. So, you know, the Eagles just completely dominated that, you know, dominated the game uh, a week after dominating the Giants. I mean, conveniently, they were both at home, uh, which they have a major advantage. Uh, but in the same sense, it's just like this team has showed, you know, zero flaws so far uh, to kick it off. I think the only other thing I would say is, you know, going into the half, it was it was pretty knotted up, pretty close. It looked like it was actually going to be a real ball game. And, uh, you know, the Eagles caught a second win coming out of the, you know, the second half. And, uh basically put it away. So um, we'll see, you know, what that means going into the Super Bowl, but they've set the perfect tone. I mean, they are, they are ready to go. They now get two extra weeks off to let Jalen rest a little bit more. They don't have any other key injuries. So it's just like, Hey man, they're in a perfect position now to just, you know, win this whole thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And I, I know there was a lot of questions, I think with Jalen Hurts and, you know, him being hurt and everything, but I mean, he looked okay. He definitely seemed like he was playing hurt and everything, but uh, he made enough plays, you know, obviously uh, against a very downtrodden um, uh, 49ers uh, team and everything. So uh, I think Jalen Hurts, he played fine, didn't really, you know, pass too much uh, downfield. I think, you know, given these two weeks, I think he's going to be, you know, recharged, ready to go, uh, have his body healed up. Um, and yes, with that offensive line that they have, I think that'll be a key thing. Um, you know, especially against the the Chiefs pass rush. Uh, if you know Jalen Hurts can sit back in the pocket a little bit, uh, you know, make some plays, you know, throw to you know AJ Brown and his, his wide receiver core, then that certainly sets things up well for the Philadelphia Eagles. So they can definitely utilize you know this rest period um, for all you know for Jalen Hurts basically just to get fully healthy as or as much as possible. So. Um, you know, I, I think he was questioned like, oh, how are you feeling? He's like, yeah, I'm about like 80% or something like that. Or I think the thinking was he, he was like 80% or I think Skip Bayless might have said that actually. Uh, but yeah, he, he, it definitely seemed like he was, you know, uh, a little, uh, a little playing a little bit hurt, not hundred percent. So, um, hopefully yeah, he heals up for the Eagles sake. Uh, cause man, that Eagles team, this is as talented of an Eagles team as there's been really. So, um, that de- that defense, that both lines, man, uh, offensive de- defensive uh, side, they're just really good. So, um, looking forward to yeah, I guess seeing them against the the Chiefs. We will see. Um, and yeah, we we've, we've mentioned that the Chiefs ended up winning the uh, AFC Conference Championship game. Uh, that that was much more uh, close and a uh, kind of a nail biter as we were you know winding winding down the game. Uh, seemed to go back and forth somewhat of a defensive struggle uh, throughout the game. But, uh, you know, Wayne, did you have any any points to share from that one just as far as, you know, what you saw from the Chiefs and what, you know, kind of look to look forward to with them? Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Jones, like, to, to me specifically, he was, you know, make, might, quas- might, qua- uh, might possibly, might possibly have yeah. been like the MVP, not to overflood all that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, like the pressure that he put on, uh, initially, or that the, really the entire defensive line of the uh, Chiefs, but him specifically, um, he owned was it Max Sharpling, their their second stringer there. Um, so like he was making sure that that internal pass rush kept on, you know, moving towards uh, uh, Joe Burrow to kind of 
get get him to scramble. Uh, you know, I think we've uh, there's been been that kind of comparison between uh, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady, and uh, you know what's what's Tom Brady's Achilles heel usually? It's that internal pass rush, basically, because uh, he's he's not that great of a lateral movement quarterback. You know, uh, so that's definitely where uh, Burrow, you know, his Achilles heel uh, was met there, um, and I think that was the key thing. You know, last. I think last year they had, uh, you know, I don't think Max Sharping was the, the right guard there. So uh, they just had, you know, better offensive alignment in the interior uh, to go up against Chris Jones. They stepped up last year more so up. Uh, Chris Jones didn't really play that well last year, but I think this season and this uh, playoffs, he's definitely stepped up. Like this is as good of a version, I think, as Chris Jones has been. Um, and he's just simply someone that doesn't get too much credit. You know, I think there's a lot of credit that obviously goes to Patrick Mahomes, which is great, and Kelsey over there on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side, like he's, you know, was it one of the top pass rushers in the game at the defensive tackle position? So, um, you know, he deserves a lot of credit being that playmaker there. Um, and yeah, that, you know, Burrow, uh, through two, two interceptions there, uh, Bengals had a, you know, a couple turnovers there and they, they lost the battles. I think I talked about last week, right. Uh, getting, they got sacked, I think five times compared to three, uh, for the Chiefs, and they lost a turnover battle. I think it was at two to one. So um, hard to beat a good team like the Chiefs uh, in that state. So yeah, what do you think, Pat? Yeah, um, you know, twelve QB hits. Uh, I think they had seven uh, tackles for loss too on the Chiefs side. I know Frank uh, Clark and George Carlaftis were also in on some sacks too. Uh, definitely looked like Burrow was kind of on his heels, kind of confused. Uh, definitely not a performance we're used to seeing from him. You know, Joe Cool. Um, but on the other side, I mean, Patrick Mahomes absolutely dominated uh, in the passing game. I mean, he was pretty sharp, pretty accurate, you know, no interceptions, 300 plus yards, two touchdowns, um, actually got his sprint speed up to like almost 19 miles per hour, which is what they were saying was like a postseason record for him. So it's like, even with that high ankle sprain, I mean, you still, you know, let's, let's say quote unquote high ankle sprain. Maybe it's just an ankle sprain at this point, but uh, you know, he was showing off his wheels, uh, it's just kind of a masterful, you know, performance from him. Um, not that I'm super surprised, but you know, in the same sense, uh, you know, only only put up, you know, 23 points as a as a team. A uh, little shocking. I mean, n- not against the Bengals. I guess they have one of the better defenses in the league, but you know, um, just shows like their gutsiness in this kind of game. You know, in a game that's going to be more of a, a scratch and claw type of game. It's not going to be you know a shootout or anything like that. But uh, you know, coming down to the wire, uh, seems like there was a lot of, uh, you know, calls that just kind of kept going the Chiefs way. I mean, Bengals, um, you know, ultimately having to punt, which was kind of a foolish decision uh, toward the end of the game, uh, gave up some really great field position of the Chiefs to start off their, you know, last drive of the game. Sky Moore, you know, had about 20 plus yards on a return. Um, I think a lot of us were thinking, like, why didn't the punter just kick it out of bounds if, uh, you know, you got anybody back there. You just don't want to give up, you know, free yardage in that sense. But, uh, you know, on that scramble play, we've all seen it. Osai made the, you know, late hit, pushed him into, uh, you know, the sidelines into the bench there. Um, pretty foolish. I mean, I don't want to, uh, kind of go fully into, uh, you know, what we think of Osai and his decision-making there. It just kind of is unfortunate if you're a Bengals fan, that's like how your season ended. But as I was watching, I was just like, Really? Like, is that really how the game's going to end right now? And kind of just set up the perfect field goal, 45 yards. I mean, I think we all kind of knew the game was going to end. But in the same sense, 
you know, enough went the Chiefs way and not the Bengals way for this to be maybe a, a Chiefs win overall. So I try not to like boil it down to one play or, you know, one foolish decision or something like that. But uh, yeah, just uh, just a little bit disappointing from the Bengals end. I mean, I feel like they had a lot of opportunities that I feel like just resulted in field goals or, you know, just just wasn't really enough. So, um, you know, now we got the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl, uh, squaring off against the Eagles and, uh, you know, should really set up a great game. Yeah, for sure. No, I I think it's going to be a great game. Um, yeah, with the Chiefs, you know, and the the whole SI thing, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, didn't the Bengals also cough up the ball a couple times? You know, give up a bunch of sacks, like, and you know, yeah, like uh, Burrow had what two minutes left? I think two, like two twenty, two thirty left, two timeouts. It's like I know they were, uh, you know, kind of uh in their own territory, deep in their own territory, but they ought to have thought like we are not going to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes ever. Uh, and also, yeah, the refs too. So if, you know, if, if, if that's the case, and it's like, yeah, you, you got to take ownership of what you can. And, um, you know, Chris Jones made those plays, got, got a sack there. I think it was like third and eight. And, you know, that, that kind of really uh, killed it for them. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it, it put, put, you know, they put them in that position to, it's like okay, do we go for it on like was it fourth and sixteen or do we punt the ball? <laughs> I guess we have to punt the ball and see it. So again, they they put the ball into Patrick Mahomes' hands, uh, as well as you know the the Chiefs. So they they took the ownership of the end of the game out outside of their hands. So yeah, I, I I can't just say like you know hey the the refs yeah obviously the refs played some somewhat of a factor, but you know the Bengals they blew a lot of opportunities for themselves. So. Um, you know, I, I I I don't have any sympathy for them with with that regard. Uh, maybe more so on a side, just because the internet's brutal and everything. And it's like, you know, are we really gonna put all the blame on him? Like, yeah, he ought not to have done that. But you know, there were so many circumstances that the Bengals they just you know made some bonehead plays. Um, you know, even before that, that could have cost them points or you know first downs, things like that. So, uh, I I wouldn't fault uh Joseph aside too much. I. I like to, you know, I guess give props. So was it BJ Hill? I think he was like right next to him uh, to Asai when uh, Asai was there, you know, taking questions, which, hey, man, that's awesome for, you know, Asai, I think. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of courage to do that. He, he definitely like felt remorseful about everything, took it pretty hard. Uh, but it was nice to see BJ Hill there. Like, you know, he was like telling reporters like, Oh, like no next question, man. Come on, you're better than that. Like, what are you talking about? It's, you know, like he's evidently sorry and everything. Like, he obviously didn't wish to do that. And, bef- and you know, before that play, before that play, he played a pretty well game overall. Like he had several pass rushes and hurries, I think, on Mahomes. So, you know, they they're not there with a size. So it's kind of one of those things where, hey, yeah, he made a lot of plays before and he just made one, you know, costful uh, play at, there at the end. But um, yeah, the uh, Chiefs had you know a lot more yardage, first downs, yeah, less turnovers, less sacks than the Bengals. So you can't fall, you know, aside for all those things. Right. And I think Jermaine Pratt's probably the one guy from the Bengals that's kind of <laughs> like the most airtime on that, you know, decision overall, just kind of calling him out as he's walking to the locker room. Um, he's gonna be a free agent and a lot of um executives and other podcasters are like, well, he's the one guy, you know, you're not gonna resign if you're the Bengals just because you, know, you don't want to have that tension in the locker room. You also want to have like a teammate who's just willing to kind of throw another under the bus, uh, you know, in one of those situations. So, you know, hopefully karma stays on uh, Pratt's side, but 
um, you know, good luck with that. I'm just, uh, yeah, you know, just don't want to see somebody become the goat, um, you know, for, for the loss and, uh, everybody to kind of focus on it brings back, you know, Bartman Buckner vibes. And it's just like, doesn't help the fan base cope with it. It doesn't help, you know, the team move on. And, uh, you know, the Bengals are still in their window here. I mean, you know, this is a tough loss, um, probably just like last year's Super Bowl, but, you know, they have an amazing core. Uh, I think Zach Taylor's a really good coach. I think that they can, you know, cobble together a similar roster and, and give this one, you know, another run next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they got cap space. Uh, you know, they might uh, re-sign some or like extend some mm-hmm. of the um, players that they have right now. So, but yeah, they have a lot of cap space. Like organizationally, they're doing really well. Uh, so, you know, and like Burrow said, like the window, championship window is whenever I'm here, right? So, uh, yeah, as long as they have him, you know, Chase, obviously a healthier, productive, you know, talented line would definitely help. So, you know, hopefully they could address some of that this offseason. But, um, yeah, and then maybe get a new middle linebacker or new, some new linebackers there. Uh, I think, but obviously they are, I think, equipped for the future. I like their coaching staff. Their coaching staff's really good. Um, yeah, it just so happened this game, you know, Chris Jones, like I said, just owned uh, the offensive line there. So, yeah. For sure. Well, with that, uh, we set up the Super Bowl here, uh, you know, coming down in less than two weeks. Uh, it'll be in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, you know, Philly will no longer be playing at home. Uh, neither will the Chiefs. So they'll both be converted to, uh, you know, to to a dome in nice conditions. But uh, I guess on a neutral field, um, you know, does that change anything for you? Or, you know, just kind of looking at this matchup, you know, what are your what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question now. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't know if it does necessarily anything with regards to how like the teams play, maybe. Um, I mean, they're both really talented teams. If if the Chiefs still had Tyreek Hill, like that maybe, but they honestly don't have those burners, uh, the Chiefs. I don't think they have those burners really. I know they have like Hardman, but uh, he's no Tyreek Hill. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think this actually does uh, a little favors, I guess, towards, you know, maybe the Eagles a little bit. Um, you know, that defense, I think, uh, against uh, the offensive line of the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, like the, the offensive line was, I think, ranked like number one or number you know, top three, right? Um, and then so are so were the Eagles offensive line. So, you know, again, it really shows how good a great offensive line can take you. <laughs> Bears fans, let's 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 get some of that up. You know, tune in next week for some of that. But yeah, no, like uh, I I really like you know uh, how the, both teams are, I think are coming into this game right. The Eagles, uh, yeah, they they they're going a team going against a team that they you know have their what fourth fifth string quarterback, but they took care of business and they, they made a very decisive win. Um, and they're going to have a well-rested, you know, Jalen hurts. So, uh, I'm looking forward to all that. Um, I think it'll be a great matchup. I think of the, of both lines, you know, I talked about Chris Jones having like a great, um, like a great game and the chiefs had like, I think they're like top three, they, they might be number three, uh, I think in ter- terms of sacks overall. So great pass rush there. Um, you know, their rookies, uh, the Chiefs rookies, they actually made a lot of plays. I think two of them got interceptions this, this past game, too. So it's like, you know, a, a lot of young talent on the Chiefs uh, defense, but they all made plays. And I think that's what's the important part for them. So um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a great matchup. Um, I, I, it, It's hard to, I guess, pick against the Eagles, actually. That's that's where I'm at. Uh because I mean that Eagles team is so talented. 
and you know, but then there's Mahomes and the Mahomes magic and the Andy Reid magic. So um, I am actually going to side with the Chiefs in this instance. I think that they'll prevail um, in this in this case. So, but what do you think, Pat? Who do you got? What are your matchups? Uh, yeah, I mean, for this one, I mean, we're looking at the best pass offense against the past pass defense uh, Chiefs versus the Eagles there. Um, you know, it's like wherever there's a strength, the other team has a strength, whether wherever there's a weakness, the other team has a weakness, but you know, the Eagles uh, also awesome, you know, with the run and chiefs were top 10 run defense as well. So it's kind of like they do balance each other out pretty well when you kind of match it up. But I just think the Eagles have a little bit more strength uh, in areas where, you know, chiefs may be a little bit more vulnerable. I mean, I think, Jalen Hurts, if he can establish the pass and keep them on their foot, you know, feet with, you know, his ability to kind of, you know, bootleg it. I think, you know, just being able to drop it off to some of his weapons, uh, you know, finding, you know, Goddard, Brown, uh, Devontae Smith, um, that'll do like him huge wonders, just kind of going against a more inexperienced pass defense of the Chiefs. Um, you know, if there is one hole in the, you know, Eagles defense, it's it's a little bit more on the run side, but the Chiefs don't make up for it very well with kind of like their young, you know, running back. So it's kind of like, I like Pacheco, to be honest with you. I like how he moves his feet. He's like really choppy and he just keeps it going. He's got a lot of energy. Um, you know, McKinnon seems to be more of like a, a pass catcher, more of like a, you know, screen pass type of guy. But in the same sense, it's like, you know, if that's the one area where you can maybe expose the Eagles defense, like you're going to have enough uphill battle for, for most of the game. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at the Chiefs, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey were healthy enough to, you know, put together a W. Um, I'm sure that a couple more weeks will do both of those guys well. But, you know, with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Kadarius Tony nursing some injuries, it's like they've got more injury concerns uh, for their offense than, you know, the Eagles really do at all. I mean, I don't see many injuries besides, you know, po- possibly Jalen Hurts just needing a little bit more rest time uh, for the Eagles too. So it's like if the Chiefs, you know, knockout punch is going to be their passing game uh you know and the eagles can just kind of you know, fall back on that pass rush and then a great running game too it's like i don't know i just you know like you i, I think the eagles roster is so explosive on both sides of the ball um the chiefs is the perfect story you know i think everybody wants to you know see patrick mahomes continue on his chase to you know maybe going after brady's record for you know super bowl wins and stuff and yeah, they're a great team. Uh, I take nothing away from them, but you know, I just think this is one of those years, uh, you know, similar to their 2017 run. I mean, Jalen Hurts versus Nick Foles is no real contest, but in the same sense, I feel like you know, the 2017 team, you know, was in first place the entire year. I think they had one or two losses the whole year and just cruised to the Super Bowl, and everybody just kind of you know doubted them or just thought, hey, they don't have enough to get over the hump. But you know, I think this team is like full go full octane you know hopefully Jalen doesn't get you know worried by the moment but I'm gonna go with the Eagles in this one and uh I think they're gonna win solidly I think they'll win 27 to 220 against the Chiefs 27 to it okay yeah I'm I'm gonna go I, I think it's like a plus was it plus two I think I well, that was like the last time I saw uh yeah like plus two um you know uh, I guess on the Chiefs side for, for the spread so um, so yeah, the, the Eagles being favored there. So I, I, I think the, yeah, I I'm, I'm going to go, you know, maybe under that. So whether it's a one score game or the chiefs winning, uh, I, 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 like you said though, the, this Eagles team is as talented as any team. I think I've seen like 
you know, in the past, maybe, you know, three, three, five years, I would say. So, um, you know, the, you know, maybe, maybe the Rams, like, I don't know, again, with Stafford, I don't, that was a really damn talented team, you know, having the top wide receiver and then having that defense for, you know, Von Miller and Donald and Jalen Ramsey and all, uh, even like a, uh, Eric Weddle coming out of retirement. So, you know, that definitely was a talented team for sure, but, you know, from the offensive line standpoint to the quarterback, to the wide receivers, to where they're at in their careers, like this is a really talented team, I think, for the Eagles. And they're all playing like, you know, lights out right now. So um, I get that. Uh, I'm just going to go the irrational pick here because <laughs> I've yeah. been watching too many YouTube channel videos of the Chiefs. and They have a great YouTube channel, so I'm going to give them the props there. And that's all I'm blinded on uh, as opposed to looking at the actual talents. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's fine. I think that, you know, sometimes we do, uh, you know, analysis to uh, a point of paralysis. It's like you just kind of, you know, you, you, you go through all the numbers, all the, you know, this should, you know, overcome that in a lot of situations. And I do think like Mahomes having that experience is in, invaluable in this sense. If there's one concern that I have about the Eagles, it's just how will Jalen Hurts, you know, perform in this game on this kind of stage? Like, will it be too much for him? Like, that would be my biggest concern. And it's like, Hey, this guy's up for MVP consideration. Like that's what I'm concerned about. So it's like, I kind of just have a little bit of confidence that, you know, let's say they don't put up the 38, 31 that they did in the first two rounds. They, you know, they come a little bit short of that number. I just feel like this defense also just hasn't allowed much. And I know we're talking giants Niners versus, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. I just kind of feel like, you know, in the Chiefs' first two games, too, it wasn't like they really, you know, showed out or dominated their opponent or anything like that. It was kind of, you know, stringing along to beat the Jaguars. Same thing happened here. You know, this was a coin toss, I felt like, between the Bengals, Chiefs, whoever, you know, would have won that game. I would have been like, sure, yeah, I, I could have seen it either way. So, you know, I'm just <laughs> the, the level of dominance that's been established, like from Philly is just. It's just something I can get behind. That's all I'll say. Like I, I've liked them all year, clearly, but you know, it just kind of feels like it's their year. Yeah, no. And if if the Eagles do win, like I'll give them credit for sure. Like that defensive line is nuts, and I, I think that there's going to be a couple in free agency. Um, hopefully, the Bears nab a couple of them. Bears are going to have a lot of money. So, but yeah, like that defensive line. Uh, I I mean that that from i guess an nfl or football fan standpoint like that defensive line against you know the kansas city chiefs offensive line i think that is a matchup to watch just to see you know are they able to get to mahomes are they able to create that internal pass rush to you know get him to scramble a little bit um because yeah that eagles secondary is also really good too you know they got what two pro bowlers i think there or at least one i know Darius slay uh, but then, yeah, also Bradbury had like, one of the best like PFF rankings too. So it's like, you know, where, where is the weak spot in this team? Uh, and they also have yeah, a really good offensive line. Oh yeah. And they also have a really good talented wide receivers, a tight end. So I may, I'm really talking myself out of like this chiefs thing. I feel like so. No, it's just, it's that crazy. Right. Cause like you go through the whole roster, just the way they've performed, like the losses they had at the end of the year this year were because Hertz wasn't playing. It's just like, you know, this is, this is seriously like almost a perfect team. Like, and I just, you know, the vibes of that D line just remind me of like the New York giants, uh, you know, 
overcoming the Patriots. Like that's going to be stifling. I don't know if, you know, Mahomes can kick it up to 18 miles per hour on his feet. Like he's probably going to need to, or, you know, early and often, but, uh, you know, we'll just have to see like where this one, uh, where this one lands, but I, I'm certain this is going to be a, a pretty competitive, you know, fun football game to watch. Yeah, I know for sure. I, I think it'll be exciting. Um, I mean, Mahomes just in general is a great quarterback to watch, I think. So, you know, any, any young quarterback, obviously they're, they are going to be looking at Mahomes. I think he's a great role model for a lot of, you know, young quarterbacks to, you know, maybe kind of emulate too, make things, you know, exciting for us fans, uh, a little less conventional, obviously like a lot of quarterbacks these days are practicing, you know, those sidearm throw, throws and how to get them around, you know, big uh, defensive alignment. So I think that's really, uh, he brings definitely an exciting element to the game. So, um, and you know, Hey, like, I know he has, you know, his posse that a lot of people make fun of and all that. But, you know, if if uh, we're analyzing just him as an individual, he seems like a you know pretty good guy overall. So um, and yeah, I think you know, he's definitely somebody to root for, you know, for the Chiefs or makes it easier to root for for the Chiefs there. Um, I think them and Kelsey, like it, it'll definitely by the you know, when everything is said and done, it'll be interesting to see like how that stacks up against, like, you know, maybe Tom Brady and Gronkowski. But obviously they got a couple of Super Bowls there, I think, to to chip away for so but yeah for sure uh yeah i mean one other plug i was going to make for this game is uh you know this is the first time two african-american quarterbacks are squaring off in the super bowl um you know jalen Hurts becomes the fourth african-american quarterback to uh to be in the super bowl uh with mahomes uh russell wilson and doug williams so it's kind of you know, just interesting to see. I mean, I think a lot of the critiques that have been thrown on Lamar Jackson for, you know, just being able to win big playoff games, uh, you know, kind of going into free agency, what will be his price tag? Um, you know, same thing will apply to Jalen Hurts and his style of quarterback play. So, you know, I just think for a lot of the quarterbacks that play like that in today's game and have played like that, I mean, I think this is like, you know, if, if Hurts happens to win, I mean, that kind of validates, you know, other quarterbacks who bring that approach to the game versus a more pure passer like a Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, is is nearing the top of the of the food chain all time as well as he continues to, you know, build a career for himself. But uh yeah, just just kind of cool to acknowledge like this will be the first time that ever happens. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And it yeah, I I guess you know I was thinking about Lamar because he's like one of my favorite players there. But it's like, yeah, if if you get him a wide receiver and then you, a couple wide receivers and then also like a scheme, and this is definitely where you know I know I know a lot of Ravens fans are like, Greg Roman, you got to be more exotic with like you know your your passing offense here. So um, that's certainly is where you know if, if the Ravens are to continue with Lamar Jackson, right? They, I, I think that's where they're headed, right? Is to keep Lamar. Uh, you know, I think Harbaugh's come out and said, like, yeah, we'd like to get a deal done and everything. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that's where they're going. Is hey, let's keep Lamar with the Ravens, but then let's get an offensive coordinator in there. Uh, I don't know, I don't know what who, who the names are. They're speculating out there. You know, whether it's like a left wish or somebody that actually has you know, a passing background and knows the quarterback play a little bit, not just like, all right, let's just, you know, get a bunch of uh, fullbacks and tight ends in there and just play smash mouth football, which, Hey, has its, you know, benefits here and there, especially with the running quarterback, but that can't be all your path, all your offensive uh, play calling. So, um, you know, uh, and he's young enough too, a Lamar. Uh, and then there's, you know, still other, uh, obviously a lot of great quarterbacks, 
you are African American uh, that are still young and and really you know have a lot of bright future. Justin Fields, uh, for sure. Um, you know, I guess we can put in Kyler Murray in there. So, uh, yeah, some quarterbacks that obviously have you know can be contenders or are playing for contending teams. And yeah, I think the NFL there's a bright future um, ahead of, ahead for them. No doubt. Um, did you have any other thoughts uh, this game or, or football otherwise? Um, uh, I guess just one more thing on that is just like I guess kudos to uh, D'Amico Ryan's. I, I I he got the the um, head coaching position at the for the Houston Texans. Uh, it seems like a great hire overall. I, I hope to keep him more than just one season uh, for the sake of you know whoever they draft uh, at quarterback, uh, and then you know. Uh, for the fans sake so but he seemed very de- deserving uh i do remember him like as a player i actually like really enjoyed watching him uh, i think it was like a middle linebacker for the texans went to a couple pro bowls there so um yeah i think that's a great hire we'll see what happens if you know, he can uh turn them into winners there so yeah i mean all jokes aside it's good to see that they're hiring based on merit um you know the guy was easily one of the best defensive coordinators over the last few years um i would say and just you know, on the rise, former Texan, um, you know, he is their third African-American head coach in a row. Um, so hopefully, at least for the Houston Texans, from like a PR standpoint, they could at least say like, look, you know, the previous two had really poor records. They weren't really, you know, guys we had faith in to kind of carry the torch year after year. Um, we're making this change. But again, like we're kind of staying, you know, true to you know what we're what we're going after what we're looking for and we kind of feel like we're hiring based on who we think is the best fit at the time um you know and, and obviously this is a huge topic you know if we look at steve wilkes and that whole situation in carolina where they picked frank reich over him and you know, there's everything that's happened with brian flores and you know his situation in miami and and kind of a lot of african-americans other minorities that have gone for these you know head coaching vacancies and felt like you know these interviews were fake and not you know, truly genuine. Um, there could be, and, and obviously is like a ton of that. Um, I think there's no question there is, but uh, in any case, I'm just glad to see that he's getting the job. This doesn't feel like something that was just handed out because they had to, you know, meet a quota. It's like, no, they picked D'Amico Ryan's because, you know, he looks like, uh, you know, a top coach on the rise and Hey, let's give him his first crack at being a head coach for our organization. Yeah, and I I guess it's like my like my thinking is like, you know, uh, I I understand that not always the best you know players uh, are always the best coaches and all that, right? Um, but you know, why why is it always like some somebody's uh, you know white friend from college or something like that that <laughs> has absolutely no football background? Like I was the water boy. Like, do all these players suck at coaching? Like that's that's just what blows my mind. Uh, obviously, like D'Amico Ryan, like, you know, has the he was an all pro former player and everything like that. Um, I understand, like, yeah, maybe he's not uh, maybe he's, he, he might not be the best teacher, but evidently he is, you know, being a coach and having very successful track records. But this is where it doesn't make sense to me. Like, how are these you know, scrubs from, you know, like Holy Cross or whatever uh, coming in and just be like, oh, yeah, I'll be a coach or whatever. And they just get the jobs that way, as opposed to, you know, somebody that works their ass off. Uh, you know, maybe is like the third defensive lineman for like an, an uh, a state Alabama team. Uh, just you know, kind of uh, is m- much more of a tweener rather than like a uh, you know somebody that's just a uh, you, know, ho- you know highly physically gifted and such, right? Like 
what's 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 up with those players? Are they, why are they not getting opportunities? I think that's just what just doesn't uh, kind of boggles my mind. And I, I, there's always that argument, of, I guess, of like, you know, oh, hire the best person. I'm like, how do you know somebody's the best person? Like, you know, and, and there's always I've, I've done those track records of, you know, failed, you know, I guess, white coaches that are just, um, you know, very uh, like like they were they've coached like two jobs. I guess I think about Cliff Kingsbury, right? He sucked at every <laughs> every everywhere he's gotten. Yet for some reason he's gotten like all, the best opportunities in the world, and is oh yeah, like think like in Thailand, right, with like with like a supermodel, a supermodel girlfriend or something like that. So like, what is he got? I, you know, what charisma? Like, is, can he cook? Like, I don't know <laughs> what's his what's his whole deal. But how does he get all these opportunities? Yeah, we second guess Steve Wilkes. We second guess Eric Bieniemy. We second guess all these, you know, uh, coaches, African American coaches with uh, a resume. Yet we give this fucker like you know the the keys to the the city. That's just what boggles my mind. So yeah, I mean, for Cliff Kingsbury specifically, I mean, to just have coaching relationships with two, you know, phenomenal quarterbacks. Those those kind of situations you know, kind of fell in his lap after he, you know, had, had been a Patriot, um, you know, had found his way into the college ranks as a coach and then kind of, you know, again, just kind of stumbled. I don't want to, you know, he, he, he found his way into having two great relationships with two gifted quarterbacks and uh, you know, the whole Arizona situation, it's like rearing its ugly head now because it's like, you've done nothing as a franchise, but try to appease your star quarterback. And it like, it really just reeks of like desperation and insecurity from that organization to just kind of like, bend over to anything Kyler, you know, Murray asked them to. And to this point, they truly have. And, uh, you know, with their next coaching hire, will to be, you know, really telling just to see, like, hey, what direction are they going? Are they trying to establish, like, the best possible football team they can? Or are they still nervous that Kyler is going to be upset and, you know, not stay long term? And they're going to be the reasons for that because they didn't try to appease him. So, like, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, truly, you know, you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, like, how did he get this job? Like, I don't know, Matt Eberflus. It's like, you know, what, what, like, where is this coming from? Like, I trust our brain trust right now, you know, in Chicago to make the right decisions as execs. Like, hopefully I see what they saw too, like in the interview process and everything else. But, you know, there's no guarantee with any of this stuff. I mean, you'd like to think that D'Amico Ryans can go in, set the tone and, you know, turn around the Texans in a couple of years and, you know, he'll be the next great, you know, quarterback, you know, um, head coach and, and everything like that going forward. But uh, yeah, a lot of this is, uh, you know, based on hearsay, uh, you know, PR, you know, how, how much they're buzzing toward the time of, you know, needing to hire someone. It's like all this stuff kind of factors in. So um, it's no coincidence that a lot of these coaches like are taking three to four interviews at a time. So it's like, you know, it all seems kind of funny, but uh, you know, the ones that stick are really the ones that are, you know, truly uh, special. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah. And I, I like how you, I guess, brought up like relationships. I think that's like a lot of it. It's just, you know, a lot of, I guess, you know, these coaches that come out of nowhere, like they just have really good connections. And, uh, you know, a lot of coaches can just, you know, you know, coaches that have been in place, right, for years or decades that are well connected, they just know a lot of other people. And, you know, I guess they just happen to be, you know, white and everything. And I think that's just like, yeah, where the big, I guess, divide is. And I think there's been like some talk about, you know, getting more uh, like African-American up and coming coaches more involved in like meetings and networking events, things like that with the NFL, which I, I think that's much more of the right direction, right? You know, 
how do you know these people? Uh, oh, well, they said they, you know, so and so and so and so uh, that I met at some networking event, or they, you know, they worked with somebody at college, uh, you know, things like that. I, I, it just seems like, yeah, you, people need to get out of their, you know, country club lifestyle and <laughs> venture out, you know, see what the world's like. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that it's, I think that way or that direction is definitely the way to go. Um, cause you know, with, I think regards to the coaching position and sports getting in sports in general, it, it, a lot of it is just relationships and, you know, that's just kind of how you advance, making sure you're, you know, cozying up with the right people and stuff like that. So, um, for sure. yeah, yeah. It, Go ahead. And it doesn't help that, uh, you know, 30 plus owners are, are white too. So, um, as gifted or as smart or, you know, as great of a play caller that some of these coaches can be African-American, you know, other minority groups, white, it's like at the end of the day, it's who the owner is most comfortable with. And like you're saying, building those relationships may be a little bit tougher if you're trying to, you know, bridge race and, and all those divides and such. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But then, then it's like, we see like, a, you know, a coach like Mike Tomlin out there. It's like, and yeah, I, I did listen to uh, his episode of the podcast for, uh, was it the pivot? I think um, they brought him on and, you know, he talks about what, you know, things he's trying to do more so now, uh, you know, with the African-American community and getting, you know, more coaching opportunities. So like he brought on, you know, Brian Flores, you know, as a coach, because nobody was hiring him, which is nuts. Like, how do you go from even if like you were like a bad uh, uh, head coach, but I think he had a nine and eight record, which I believe is the same record that, you know, Mike McDowell's had granted, you know, Mike McDowell's had several injuries, you know, occur and, and things like that. Um, but but still, it's like you know, Brian Flores had a nine and eight record. You know, I think. That was uh, ahead of what a lot of people were, were predicting for the Dolphins. Um, like, how does he not get any calls? Like, that just boggles my mind. So, um, you know, that's something where I appreciate someone like like Mike Tomlin, uh, who's been in the game, been with the Steelers. Has you know, I think he had, uh, I think he's had like one losing season, like one under five hundred season, or uh, out of like what a, a decade plus uh, with the Steelers. So, you know, that's just. I, I think you know there's a lot to, to be said about that, and but then it's like yeah we had what the to, the Tony Dungies of the world the Lovey Smiths like you know Lovey Smith with the Bears I should maybe more articulate there but like how do we not how is there not more more of a push to get I guess more African American you know coaches again when the league is seventy percent uh, African American and it's like again are they all what bad coaches are black people all of a sudden bad coaches I don't get it you know so yeah. To your credit, though, yeah, I, I think when the NFL owner is thinking about who I want to see at press conferences, I don't know. There's some subliminal thing. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe they choose some white guy from Holy Cross. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, Tomlin, 636 career winning percentage, actually no losing seasons. He's had a few, five, you know, eight and eight seasons over the mm -hmm. years. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're saying, he's, he's made very uh, few mistakes as a coach and uh has definitely secured the Steelers job uh, probably until he's ready to walk away. Cause he's just really that good. And uh, you know, hopefully more can see, you know, you know, their way, you know, their pathway to a head coaching job soon. Uh, I think the push is definitely there. I heard Wilkes maybe joining uh, Flores in the litigation, which honestly like great for the push, but in the same sense, like hampers a guy like Flores hampers a guy like maybe Wilkes, if they're in litigation against an NFL team. I mean, I think any of these owners are also scared of like going through, you know, legal battles with potential coaches and just what happens if I hire you, you don't turn out to be great. And then you jump on me 
you know, for not, you know, doing what I think is what's best for this franchise or like you didn't push it as far as I thought you may, you know, have the potential to. So it's like, it's a very sensitive issue. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely on the side of, um, you know, pro hiring of, of minority coaches. It's just, I'm trying to also put myself in the shoes of an owner and it's like, yeah, man, that on top of it's like pretty scary. And, and there's already, you know, issues there in developing the relationships, maybe across racial lines or having that kind of trust to hand the football team over to somebody. Maybe you're, you know, genuinely don't feel comfortable having dinner with, you know, often or something like that. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird world. And, uh, you know, at least from the Broncos perspective, they, uh, they also, you know, traded a first round pick for, uh, for Sean Payton. So, you know, the Broncos will, will not be going after uh, a Giro Averro. So, you know, they welcome in Sean Payton, who, who obviously is a, is a established coach in the NFL. It probably deserves one of the 32 jobs, but, uh, what did you make of that, uh, of that trade? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think they've already got, gone all in, I think with this whole Russell Wilson thing. Right. So, I think it's just like, all right, let's get a coach that can immediately come in and do something. And yeah, we'll, we'll whatever. We don't care about first round picks anymore, apparently. So let's just see what we can get uh, with Sean Payton. You know, uh, I, I think I was reading like a Twitter thread, like, oh yeah, like the Broncos don't have a talented roster. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, most people when they were, you know, this the preseason, right? They were predicting, I think, the Broncos to make a run for it. You know, and and their, their team is still young. Uh, there's still a lot of you know players in contract and everything. Um, and you know, that they have a really talented defense, really talented young defense over there. Uh, it's just that their offense could not, you know, really make too many plays. There was uh, just a lot of discoordination. Like Russell Wilson had his worst like career uh season ever. And you know, I guess who better to revitalize that than uh than Sean Payton, who Sean Payton, he was a person that revitalized Drew Brees' career a little bit, you know, coming out of surgery. You know, uh, Russell Wilson, his player that he looks up to, I think, the most and get, you know, he draws uh, kind of a lot of comparisons with or tries to at least is Drew Brees, right? So maybe he can, you know, Sean Payton, I guess, who better person to, uh, you know, game plan and scheme, you know, with than, uh, than a player that a lot of people, I guess, compare to or he likes to compare himself to Drew Brees and, and Russell Wilson. So they have talented wide receivers. You know, they got Judy, they got Sutton. Um, you know, they, they have a decent offensive line, I guess. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, they, they just have some weapons overall. So, you know, uh, KJ Hamler, I think too, right? So yeah, I, I think it's a good hire overall. Uh, they have a lot of pieces in place and I think they just need that person to just kind of, you know, bring them to the next level and, you know, uh, I definitely see that within Sean Payton. I think this is a great move for them. Yeah. I mean, Payton's on the same shelf as, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin from a win loss perspective. I think he brings instant credibility there. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett's like an all time terrible coaching hire. I mean, we were breaking that down from game one, just what was happening in that end of game situation. And it felt like week after week, we'd watch games on prime time, whether it's a Thursday or a Sunday night or a Monday night. And it was just like, what are they doing? Like, why are they passing there? Go for the field goal. What are you guys doing? Like, stop. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of turbulence and just that, like that negative slide that they started on, just like continued on and on and on and on. And it's like confidence started getting lost. Like trust was broken. It was, it was chaos, like all year in Denver. Um, I just think there's too much, you know, in Russell's uh, tool bag, there's too much that he's gone through experience wise where, 
he's going to let this one season kind of derail his entire career. I mean, I think he's he's too good of a of a player, and he's I guess he's got too much resolve. I think as a player to just kind of let all this uh, fall apart. So I think Sean Payton, you know, brings stability there. Um, you know, toward the end of the year too, Russell was, you know, really putting up good passing stats. I mean, it's only a two game sample, but he did get, you know, some pretty, you know, uh, I would say almost near 300 yard passing games was positive on the TD interception ratio is like, he was actually putting together respectable, you know, NFL starter numbers. And uh, like you're saying, they've got weapons there on offense. They've got a pretty great defense um, if they can hold everything together, especially in the secondary. So, you know, you lose the first round pick, it's towards the end of the, you know, first round. I mean, that draft pick's been like traded, I think two or three times now between, you know, the Niners, Dolphins, et cetera. So uh, I think it's the Niners uh, pick originally, but uh, yeah, in general, uh, I think it's worth the trade uh, as much as, you know, Denver needs extra talent, but um, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, which, it might sound like a stretch. Like I think getting closer to 500 is like where they're probably going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a, you know, really competitive uh, division that they're in. Um, You know, I think maybe trying to look into next season, you know, Kansas city, they're going to have probably a similar uh, setup in terms of players there. Um, You know, I think similar situation too with the chargers Uh, Raiders, who knows, but (laughs) it's always been a fun situation. Uh, I think with them. So, uh, you know, if they want to be competitive, you know, for the next couple of years uh, with Russell Wilson, uh, you know, kind of capitalizing on their window, then, yeah, they need to act now. And I, I think that's what they were thinking about uh, with getting Sean Payton. So, yeah, there is a sense of urgency. Russell Wilson's only, I think is what, 34 now or something like that. So he's only probably got a couple of years, uh, solid years left in him. Uh, and then, you know, before he you know, potentially, you uh, I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady. So, uh, yeah, I, I, he was only got a couple of years left in him. Uh, takes up a lot of, you know, cap space and everything. Uh, so yeah, I think the, the time is to act, the time to act is now. So, um, yeah, good move, uh, from the Broncos. For sure. And hopefully, uh, Javante Williams, uh, you know, recovers and gets back from his injury. Cause I have a lot of, you know, just faith in him being, you know, one of the top backs in our league going forward. And, uh, you know, that was a that was a huge downer for them as a team this year. And you know, just personally, I, I want to see him progress and I want to see, uh, you know, what his upside could possibly be. So um, with that, um, you know, we covered the Super Bowl, um, some new coaching hires, but uh, I guess we'll move on to our final thoughts. Uh, Wayne, do you have anything to uh, to pitch today? Sure. Um, I, I think my request, my request is uh, to have better uh, Super Bowl commercials this year. Um, you know, we've been blessed, I think, with, was it Puppy Monkey Baby in the past uh, with, you know, a uh, random company's CEO singing or something like that. Uh, or, you know, random, you know, be less celebrities trying to get a quick paycheck and, and pitching certain items that they don't care about. But I feel like, though, uh, we need we just need better ones. And I, I think we're at a time. You know, this this definitely happens where the Super Bowl is kind of like a national holiday. I feel like it's you know going to be a good time. Yeah, there's definitely been I think some uh, maybe negative views you know, kind of start the year a little bit. So I feel like you know we need some good vibes uh, from some Super Bowl commercials. Uh, I actually don't mind like having a QR code to look at or, or to a scan or whatever that floats around like Coinbase did. Uh, I think it was maybe last year on that. I don't mind that. I just want to. 
you know, watch good football and mindlessly, you know, take in some commercials uh, that give me a little bit of a smile. So um, I say all that with that. And then, yes, Pat, what are maybe some of your happiest uh, Super Bowl commercials that you've that you recall? Damn, man. Uh, well, you definitely put me on the spot. I didn't come prepared. Uh, game <laughs> on me. But I will say, um, versus commercials, like just picking specific ones, I always feel like Doritos and Mountain Dew just like go the extra mile in terms of just consistently putting out good stuff. Um, damn it. I can't even give you like one solid example, but I just know those companies <laughs> overall. I feel like year in, year out, I feel like they have, you know, witty, fresh content uh you know it just kind of strikes at the heart of uh you know the audience and always gives like some pretty good laughs but uh wayne if you could please pick me up on this one and just <laughs> share maybe one doritos or mountain dew commercial that i may be you know pointing to i'd be gratefully uh you know appreciative yeah i don't know about um doritos or whatever but uh i will say i think my favorite uh, commercial was uh, Snickers. At least that brought a smile to my face. I'd say Snickers usually produces some decent ones. Uh, there's the one with the late great Betty White now, uh, passed away, 99 years old, a couple weeks from a hundredth birthday party, RIP. Uh, but yeah, she uh, was kind of playing like pickup football. It was like covered in mud and everything. It was like talking trash. Uh, but yeah, like people were calling her up because she was playing, you know, or he, I guess, in the sense. It was a dude that was you know, playing like, uh, I guess, Betty White. Uh, if Betty White were to play playing football uh, because he didn't eat a snicker, he was hungry. So and then his, I think his girlfriend or wife gave him a snicker. And then he's like, oh, OK, I'm better now. So um, that brought joy. I think I, I really appreciate that. Also looking at Betty White, it's like, ah, Betty White brought on so many laughs. So um, but yeah, I definitely uh, hold that uh, that commercial near and dear to my heart, I would say. I do. Yeah. I like those, um, personality changeups and they have the Snickers and they, you know, come back to real life and stuff. Um, I, while you were talking, I was cheating by looking at my phone and finding one of the commercials that I could point to from Doritos, but essentially like <laughs> there's a guy who's, you know, coming to pick up, uh, this kid's mom for a date and the kid is like, you know, copping some attitude and stuff. And the guy's like looking over and the kid has like Doritos or whatever. And I think he like snatches the bag of Doritos or asks him for some Doritos and the kid goes, you know, stay away from my mom and my Doritos. And like, it's just like a really, you know, <laughs> sna snappy kid on the commercial or whatever. But uh, yeah, in general, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I always tend to like the humor out of, the, out of these commercials. I mean, I want something like witty, funny in 30 seconds. I don't really care for anything like dramatic or serious or anything like that too, or informational. Cause I'm not listening. I'm just having a good time with friends. Like, waiting for the football to come back on the you know, screen. But if there's a funny commercial, like I'll definitely stop and have a, have a laugh for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, some people watch the commercials. Uh, some people watch the football, but then obviously some people want to see the halftime show. I know Riri, I believe is performing. I, I think they'll probably have some, somebody else perform as well. It's usually what they do, but um, yeah, I know some people will, will refer to it as, I guess the Rihanna concert that also has football. So for sure. Um, I guess for my final thought, uh, going back to our favorite, uh, food topic, uh, it's my, it's my wife's birthday uh, this weekend. So happy birthday, uh, to my wife. Uh, we'll be going out to dinner in DC. Uh, this, this restaurant we're going to is, uh, I don't believe they have a Michelin star, but they're, uh, like in the top 12 ranked restaurants for DC. 
Uh, it's an $85, um, basically like a taster menu. Like you pick uh, meat and I think they've got like sirloin steak, duck or rotisserie chicken. And then, you know, the chef like comes out with a bunch of different sides and I think like, you know, a starter, a dessert and everything like that. So, uh, should be a fun night out on the town. Um, you know, not sure if I have any direct questions for you in this one, but the place is called the duck and the peach, but I guess, Chicago bound. Are there any restaurants that are on your hit list right now? Any things that, you know, stand out to you as like your next stop from like a, maybe a more fine dining perspective, or if you've been somewhere recently, can you share like, you know, a name or two of restaurants you've been to uh, in the last month or so? Yeah, it is a restaurant week here in Chicago. Um, I did go to duck, duck goat, uh, which is the Stephanie uh, Izzard restaurant. Um, you know, the, the fame shaft of girl in the Goat. Uh, one top chef. Uh, yeah, Duck Duck Go is interesting because it's uh, it's it's Chinese like you know fusion and everything. And uh, I know there's a thing oftentimes within the Asian community. It's like, why why are we paying you know uh, ten dollars for egg rolls or something like that, right? So or yeah, what if we can go to a, a place in Chinatown, get like you know more of that authentic style uh, for just a couple bucks, right? So. But you know, I went there. I think last week at Duck Duck Goat, um, they had like some shrimp toast actually, uh, with like some peppers and everything. It, it was a really, it was actually pretty damn good. Um, they also had, I think it was like uh, some green beans with like uh, it was like a spicy sauce, maybe like Szechuan of some sort. Uh, but yeah, that and um, I think they also had some pork bows uh, and some dumplings too, some steamed dumplings with like like. Uh, um, it might have been like a pork belly or, or I think it was a short rib, some sort of short rib with bone marrow inside. So that was pretty damn good, I would say. Um, yeah. And then um, I'm actually going to be going tomorrow to uh, Ella Ellie, uh, which is a it's kind of like a fine dining spot, like in the Lakeview area. So um, menu looks really good. Uh, it's like Italian Mediterranean, uh, you know, shared plate type of place. Uh, they have like a nice lounge, nice decor. So yeah, gonna enjoy some good food over there. Um, and yeah, feel free to I guess follow my Instagram. I'll definitely be posting. I think on I I always uh, post all my food uh, uh, you know adventures there. So, um, but yeah, Ella Ellie and uh, Duck Duck Goat. Those are two places uh, I'm I have been going or have went to and then plan on going to uh, tomorrow. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, I remember Stephanie from Top Chef. Uh, actually, went to Edward Lee's spot succotash a few weeks ago here in dc uh kind of a southern style you know elevated uh brunch uh dinner menu that they have if we went for brunch uh good drinks too but it's like i don't know i mean not everything always hits with uh fine dining places but consistently like 80 percent, 90 percent of it's good and it usually exposes me to just meats that i normally wouldn't try or vegetable combinations that otherwise i would probably overlook on a menu or something if i was just going out to you know, more of your standard sit down or, you know, whatever type of, uh, you know, specialty restaurant you could be, you know, kind of diving into. So I, I always like the, uh, you know, the prepared courses too. Like if you can just come out and give me like three to five, maybe more courses like in a line and just surprise me, I'm like, cool, just tell me what it is. I'll take a look on the menu, see what the ingredients are. And like, I think it's fun to just kind of play around and it like definitely inspires like home cooking too. Cause it's like some of this stuff, you know, while it seems like, oh, like, how the hell am I ever going to, you know, pull this off? Like some of the stuff, you know, maybe it's not to the same level at home, but you can accomplish a lot with 
you know, vinegar or things that you otherwise like wouldn't just pick up and like try to dabble with and stuff. Like I think there's, you know, some interesting flavor combos you can put together at home. That's, uh, you know, nice to get that exposure of when you're out at the restaurant. Yeah. It, it basically makes you want to like buy like a food processor or like, I was <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like as a, you know, as a dude, right. It's like, Oh, I can make a puree. Like this is amazing. I could go, <laughs> you know, have a fine dining experience. All I need to do is just make a puree of something, combine it with like a gamey meat, which we talked about, you know, last week and all. Uh, and hey, you get like a fine dining experience basically at home. So yeah, I, I definitely like you know to dine out a little bit, uh, especially in a city like Chicago. There's just so many options, and yeah, just to play around. I feel like you know with food. Um, if it tastes good, it feels good. You have, you know, nice vibe. That definitely is, I think, you know, where a lot of these, you know, more fine dining restaurants go to. Um, but yeah. Uh, and yeah, like, like last week, I know we talked about the menu and everything too. Uh, yeah. Like it's, su it's such a good movie. I, I definitely think it kind of touched this point, you know, with regards to fine dining and how it's, it has impacted culture, I think, um, for better or for worse. So, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, these are the football guys bringing you fine dining too. I, I I dare say you won't find another podcast out there covering sports that will also you know take you inside a Michelin star restaurant and break it down. So um, I will definitely enjoy my meal uh, this this weekend. Uh, Wayne, I, I'm sure you've got some adventures there too on the on the eating front. But uh, yeah, I guess with that, um, this episode is a wrap, and uh, we'll catch you next time.